Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Ashley Bridell. Ashley is the CEO and founder of Home Sweet Home Foundation based in Hagerstown, Maryland. Well, welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm great, Lynn. How are you? I am very well. Thank you very much for asking. I am excited to talk to you today. For those who are listening, Ashley and I know each other through a cousin of mine in my foster family. So this is, I guess, when did we meet? Has it been a couple of years now? It's actually, I think, been two and a half years. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I'm really excited to hear about your organization and what's happened since we first talked about it. But before we dive into that, Ashley, could you share your own story, your own journey, and what is it that brought you to starting Home Sweet Home Foundation? So I used to be a foster youth. I was a foster youth at one point in my life. I was going through some things with my mother. I was talking to my therapist and telling her some things. And so I ended up in foster care from there. I was in foster care until about maybe like 16 and a half. And then I did get back out and went back home to live with my mother. At times I did regret it and be honest with you. Full transparency as I really thought that I could go with my foster mother. I liked her and everything. And so that's my connection to the foster world. I made friendships with those people and I'm still talking to them to this day. I'm friends with them on Facebook. I knew what they needed. I met, I knew one who went through a process where as though she ended up adopted. And then there was one that was still struggling hard. So you see the good, you see the bad. And I knew I wanted to do something and I knew what I needed. So. I was like, let me start this nonprofit. Wow, that's great. So you have lived experience. And how long were you in foster care? I think it was about a year or two. Okay. But I would give it, I think it was about like a year or less, actually. Okay. Yeah, my sister and I were in not terribly long compared to some. We went in when I was, I think I was still 14, like just turning 15 at the start of my 10th grade year in high school. And then aged out at 18. I was already in college because I was 17 when I graduated from high school. So I was already in college when I aged out. But again, only like maybe three years for me. Wow. I never knew that. Yeah. So not terribly long. So yeah. So we each have some lived experience in the system. And you also mentioned still having connections with other youth. Yes. Yeah. I think that's great. My sister and I were older And when we went into the group home and then the youth shelter, the other kids that were there were much younger than we were. I don't recall anybody being there around our age. So even though they were great kids, we weren't really friends, right? So I lost touch with pretty much everybody except one set of relief house parents from my time in foster care. So I'm glad that you had a chance to stay in touch with them. Oh, yes, yes. yes. I reconnected with one actually last week on Facebook. Last week? Yes. Wow. That's amazing. You know, Facebook, even though not as many young people are using it now, I think Facebook for a while there was a tremendous way to reconnect with people. Yes, it really is. Like I reconnected with so many people. It's really a great tool because like 
back in, well, I remember, I, you know, grew up when the internet wasn't also that huge at first either. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but now it's easier to stay connected because I was using the phone where, so you dialed, <laughs> dialed the numbers and stuff. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't know what other social media would be good, you know, because I'm old, right? What other social media platforms are good for keeping up with people? Do you have any suggestions? I would say mainly Facebook, to be honest, mainly Facebook, sometimes Twitter, but mainly Facebook because Instagram, you can make a username and you're like, well, who is this person? I don't, you know, it's not their real names. So no offense, Instagram, but (laughs) I- That's a good point. Yeah. And sometimes Pinterest, maybe it depends, but no, mainly Facebook. Okay. Okay. I've heard somebody say that Facebook has kind of become like almost like a phone book. Yes. Right. That you yes. can find people through Facebook. Yes. As it might not be the place to go and, you know, share as much as people used to, but to find people. Yes. And to block people. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Awesome. So let me ask, if you don't mind, how old are you now? How long has it been since you've left foster care? So I left, it's been 16 and I'm 29 now. You're 29. Okay. Yeah. I'll be transparent because I don't want people to say, oh, I can't believe I asked your age. I'm 55. So there you go. Now we're both, everything's out on the table. (laughs) I don't have a problem with being asked about my age unless you're a guy. All right. So you're 29. So there's been some time since you say, I'm assuming you graduated from high school. Yes. I Mm -hmm. graduated high school valedictorian. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. And that was down (laughs) in Maryland. Yes. In Baltimore, Maryland. Where? Okay. What school did you go to? It was called New Era Academy. Oh, right. When I lived in Baltimore, I went to city college. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I lived just a few blocks from Baltimore city college. Okay. So that's where I went just for a semester oh, before okay. we bounced out of there to a different home. But, but I really liked it. I liked Baltimore. That's good. Yeah. Me, you on the opposite of ends of that spectrum, to be honest. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, it was a lot of, a lot of hardships. I'm going to be honest with you, just being down there. I'm from Salisbury, Maryland. I was born in Salisbury, Maryland. And so living in Baltimore, it wasn't as, how do you say, it was more bad times than good. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. It happens, you know, it happens. (laughs) Well, so what did you do like when you left high school? So I worked for a little bit. I moved down to Georgia. I moved to Georgia and I went to school to Georgia State. Okay. Was then known per Georgia Perimeter College, but I am allowed to say I went to Georgia State for one semester. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then after that, I moved actually back up here to Baltimore. So after a while, I still do miss Georgia, <laughs> but I moved back up here. All right. And so what was it that inspired you? I mean, of course, your lived experience, but what was it that got you motivated, inspired to start some kind of organization of your own? To be honest with you, when I moved into down to Georgia, I realized I was like, okay, I'm having, you know, I noticed I started, there was problems again. And I had to realize I, you know, I moved with the problem. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I had realized also what I needed, like a lot of things like financial education, didn't know about a credit card. I got my first credit card from Bank of America and it did close because I didn't know any better. So that's the financial education part. The housing part, you know, the biggest thing with housing, my family members that I know did not own a home at all because we home sweet home, we help with housing. So my family never owned a house. So we're pushing to for home ownership. And then also a lot of these youth, they don't know how to find their own housing. So I didn't even know how to find housing. That's another part of home sweet home. Mental health. I had experienced a lot of trauma. And so I'm very transparent about therapy because of the fact that my current therapist, she was very helpful because I started to get worse. So that's another part of Home Sweet Home. And then the last part is the connection to resources is finding different ways. Let's say one day, oh, oh my goodness, I all my food probably spoiled or I I don't have any food. Okay, well, you know, this church on this certain day hands out food. That's the biggest thing is utilizing your resources because a lot of the resources, I have to say that's a strong one for me. When you have nothing and came for even negative numbers, you find ways to pull yourself out of that. When you're at your lowest, you find ways and get creative to find ways to pull yourself out of those situations. So that's a big key part for me as well. I have a lot of places I have to say I have to think because of the fact that I didn't know that I could get food from this place. I didn't know that I can go to this place if I want to get an expungement. I got a expungement transparency, like I got a expungement for a ticket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so or I didn't know I can go to this other place to go and learn how like more about Google, like the library here in Washington County. Google teaches you certain skills for free. So if you want to grow your skills and stuff, so that's very important because Home Sweet Home, to sum it up, we provide housing needs, mental health, financial education, and connection to resources. Okay. (laughs) All right. So let me first kind of see if I can summarize your time going into, you know, up until the point where you started Home Sweet Home. It sounds like you went through a few years of kind of like the life of hard knocks. Yes. And you learned a lot coming through that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so you've taken your, you know, not book learning, but life learning, right? And you're trying to help, not say you don't have book learning, but you know, the life learning of this, the life of hard knocks. And you're putting all of that together to help other young people. So maybe they don't have to go through as many hard knocks. Is that, have I summed that up pretty well? Yes, because Home Sweet Home is meant to be very simple. So yes, Home Sweet Home is not meant to reinvent the wheel. We're meant to create independence. And so I knew what I, like you said, I went through the hard knocks. I knew what I needed. And it's just meant to be very simple and straight to the point. We know the problems and know what you need. And I've been through the things. I had people message me, this is hard. This is hard. This was the biggest issue. And done a lot of research, of course, too. Right. I'd like to get into the different areas you've mentioned, the housing and the mental health and so forth, and what exactly you do. But how do you find the youth that you work with? Are these youth who are going to age out, who have already aged out? 
Are they referred to you by an agency? How does all that work? So this question is the best question ever. Yay! (laughs) So we have five organizations we work with right now. We are looking to get more. Western Maryland Consortium, Hagerstown Community College, Horizon Goodwill, Potomac Case Management, and Department of Human Services and Department of Social Services. They refer to youth to us, and that's how we get our youth. And there is one more other organization in Baltimore called Fosterpreneur. They help aged out youth become entrepreneurs. We get our youth from them as well. I've heard of them. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the youth, what's the criteria for working with the youth? What do they, like I said, do they need to be in foster care? Or what's the scoop there? So providing their foster waivers, we also work with them before they about to age out because we want to grab them before they age out. Because when they age out, we predict not turmoil, but more of like, we don't want them to go through a spiral of, oh, I'm stressed about this. I'm stressed about that. We're trying to re- alleviate the stress. So that's why it's best to grab them before they're about to age out, because when they age out, they end up homeless and on the street. Sometimes it depends if they're not adopted. So if we grab them, stay in contact with them, put them through our financial education class, put them through the mental health and the housing, we can make sure we can prevent the couch surfing, the homelessness, the trying to, you know, scrape out here to make ends meet. And to work with us, we just want to make sure that you have what you want to be and your goals. That's the biggest thing. We're not equipped with dealing with like, for example, drug severity, because I know there's an opioid epidemic here, or we're not equipped to take in foster youth that have children. We are focused on the foster youth that are trying to make sure they get their career. They're trying to make sure they don't end up in poverty to at least be, you know, above the poverty lines. So that's the biggest thing is you having goals, you willing to grow, wanting to be independent, wanting to make sure that you stay in good terms with the landlord, good terms with people, make sure the mental health is put together, make sure you know more about banking. That's how a youth can work with us if they are willing to learn. Okay. I like that. The young people who would be motivated and resourceful like you were when you needed to. Yes. Right. You want that energy and that drive. Yes. We're not saying you need to be high school valedictorian like I was, (laughs) but we just want to make sure you want to live a life of, okay, well, I want everything to be stable and I want to be happy. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm going to ask you a quick question just off to the side. We'll come back to this train of thought that we're on. But when you say you're a valedictorian, it just made me think I was not valedictorian, but I did make straight A's. When I was having a rough time at home and went into the foster care system, I found that focusing on grades and getting good grades was one area that I could control. Like, you know, my life is chaotic, but I can control this. Yeah, And so I really focused on getting good grades. Was that similar to your experience or did you do have a different experience? I have to say that's similar because I 
knew I also had a goal actually behind it when they started bringing up valedictorian. And I just knew I wanted to be the best. I could control that. Like I couldn't control my other part of my life and aspects. And so yes, my grades I could control. And truthfully, sometimes I even purposely like maybe got a bad grade because I just was like, I think I I need to recollect myself. So yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting research study to talk to foster youth and find out what are the differences, what are the personality differences, maybe it lies there, between youth who don't grab onto that as an area of control and those that do, right? And then is there something that we can do to help the young people shift their focus to grades? Because we know that education is so important and getting grades gets you to more education. So it's just something that just crossed my mind is it could be an interesting research study. To be honest with you, it might be the personality, but the biggest thing I have found out is it's a lot, of course, I keep dealing with being at home or who they're being raised by or what they keep having to deal with through their days. So it might be the different personalities, but I think it's what they go through at home, like who's teaching them, who's raising them versus, yeah. Well, that's a good point because in my mother, you know, before things went downhill, There was a big stress on grades and education. So I think we had, in our formative years, we had that planted in us. Yeah. It might be personality, especially because, like, my grandmother was very driven. Both of my grandmothers were very driven. My dad was an entrepreneur. My mom actually utilized her resources. I have to say that she actually utilized her resources. So that might also be in me. both my grandmothers and then my dad and my mom. So they modeled some of the traits that you have now? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't want to stay on that too long. It just crossed my mind and I wanted to throw it out there because I was like, oh, something else we have in common potentially. So (laughs) I also wanted to let you know, I recommended, I don't know if she's part of it now, but I recommended, I don't know if you know Erica from Fosterpreneur. I recommended her to join Agent Out Institute. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. For those yeah. who are listening, we have an online community for organizations that work with youth aging out of care. So I appreciate the referral. I'd have to go look at our list and see if they did, but I always appreciate getting the word out that we exist. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Well, back to Home Sweet Home Foundation. About how many youth do you serve right now? So right now we serve 26. Okay. About a couple months ago, it was 17. Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. It was 17. The list is actually going to get longer as we have been receiving emails for more need. So until we take intake those people, it's 26. That's great. And what year did you officially start? I started Home Sweet Home back in about 2018, but before that, I would say 2017, I was working on the plan already, but officially February of 2018, but I go with March because I know for sure that we started our Facebook. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a good milestone there. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you made it through as a brandy new organization, you made it through COVID, which is fantastic. Yes. A lot of people think we started through COVID, but I was like, no. I'm gonna be, let me more transparency. When I started on Sea Home, I was like, "Whoa, this is gonna take off!" Yeah. 
And I didn't know any better. So I did a lot of research, a lot of classes, just a lot of studying. And then in 2020, I was like, okay, it's time. Let's go. So I had some things in 2018, but then I'm like, well, I need, you know, why aren't we taking off? Why aren't we, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, you got to run it. You have to run the nonprofit as a business. And I didn't know, <laughs> I did a lot of business research classes and everything. Didn't know better. And so now, yes, it's our five-year anniversary. Woo-hoo. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So many nonprofits fail after the first couple of years, businesses in general fail. So I think that's wonderful that not only did you make it, but you made it through COVID, which is admirable. Actually, we flourished during COVID. There was, we received donations during COVID. It basically kicked us off a little further because of the fact that even though we were already established, but uh, during COVID, I was actually trying to figure out more and do more stuff. So I put myself out there, myself and Home Sweet Home out there. Mm -hmm. So yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And how many staff do you have at this point? Do you have volunteers? Do you have staff? What does that look like? So Home Sweet Home is straight volunteers right now. Okay. We have six volunteers. And right now I currently have a summer worker that was actually provided though the Western Consortium and they are paying for him to work for us. Oh, that's fantastic. So that's one work but everybody else is volunteers. All right. So let me go back around to your areas of focus. And you said that you help young people with housing. Can you explain in a little more detail what exactly it is that you do for the youth in regard to housing? Home Sweet Home helps age out foster between 16 to 26. And so we provide housing needs. So with housing needs, there is our Featherbox program. Our Featherbox program provides aged-out foster youth with housing supplies when they move into their first home. When they move into their first home, we provide them, like, for example, with a comforter, a seat blanket, pillow, pots and pans, dish soap, loofahs. Sometimes we provide them also with a trash can, a mat for, like, outside, like, welcome home mat. So it's all listed. I'm going off the top of my head, to be honest. <laughs> so, but there's mainly a housewarming kit that we provide them oh, when they move. Okay. Because mm-hmm. we figured that if they don't have family, they don't have people who will come do a housewarming. Why don't we give them these items? Because they probably have nobody. And I talked to a couple of them. They said they actually didn't have anybody that will probably would have showed up. One girl, she actually had a housewarming and she only had maybe one or two people showed up. So I was like, well, let us cover the important parts. Mop, a broom, that's part of the housing needs. Now, as far as the housing part, we don't have our own facilities. The people that we work with, such as like DSS, Tomic Case Management, Horizon Goodwill, they have their own housing facilities already. So we know that the housing market right now is... It, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and so... We connect them with who we're connected with as far as housing. Like I have a couple of landlords I talk to personally. I built a relationship with them over the years, see if they had anything available. A lot of times this year, like we have some youth that are Asian out, but they don't have anything available. So they're going to let me know when there's something available. 
that's another part of our housing and that's called our nesting program. And we are also looking for the near future to have our own housing, you guys, just to let you know. That's exciting. (laughs) That's exciting. Are you looking at building or purchasing a house? What's the model that you're going after? We haven't decided, but when I made the plan, my biggest initial plan was a tiny home project. The tiny home project eh, can't go into real much details because I even signed I signed my own NDA, but <laughs> but we was gonna work on tiny homes. Well, that's okay. I know the tiny home model. I think that depending on what state you're in, it could be done differently. I like the tiny home idea. I think it's a small space, easier to keep up, and it's a good starter apartment for young people. And I know it's gaining in popularity. Yes, we've noticed that as well. I still do a lot of research every day just because I want, if we were to implement it, let's, how would it make a difference? How would it make a difference? How will it be different? Does it need to be different in the first place? And also just to try to figure out if it goes and runs smoothly. Right. Right. Yeah. Benchmarking with programs that already have a tiny home program would be an excellent step. If you haven't done it already, you may have. We have been looking. I've been looking and talking to different people in different states and across the country and stuff. So I've been thinking about that as well. I mean, it makes things easier, you know, working with other people. Collaboration over competition anyway. Yeah. I wonder if you can get, I want to call it a tiny home on wheels, right? So. I know that there's a program, I think it's in California. Yeah. You have to go and look. I know who you're talking about most likely. Yeah. (laughs) They're starting a program where they're building homes on wheels. They don't have to have their own land for that. So churches and other, you know, even homeowners can say, yeah, I've got four acres. You could put one of your homes on wheels on my property and a young person can live, you know, out there. And I think that's an incredible option if your state allows it to enable a nonprofit to find space at potentially no charge, depends on the arrangement with the homeowner, to enable a young person to have a place to live. Yes, I find that very interesting as well, because I know the company, I emailed them as well. I think I know who you're talking about, and I haven't heard back, but it's okay. They're most likely probably busy. (laughs) I imagine, I imagine if this is becoming more and more popular. Companies, I tell you what, companies that used to build RVs and RVs are because the cost of gas and everything, RV businesses are going out of business. They should really think about about doing this, (laughs) right? Partnering with nonprofits to give housing to young people aging out of foster care. There, boom, solved. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. You just need the partners to, you know, be able to pay for them, right? That's the key. Yes. Yes. And a lot of times you can, I'm a big negotiator. I'm going to be honest with you. I have seven plus years of sales. So I negotiated my way into a lot of things. (laughs) Start contacting RV manufacturers. That's what you got to do. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Always. All right. Well, I appreciate that review. Just one other question about the housing needs. So do people donate the items that you give or do they donate money and then you purchase the items or is it a mix? It is a mix, but mostly they donate items, which is 
perfect. Please just donate the items if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) They donate the items to our location. Our location is 129 North Potomac Street, Hagerstown, Maryland, 21740. They donate the items there. We have the items right there and ready to go and pack when we get a call or when we're about to put our youth in the housing or if we get a call from DSS and be like, oh, she just moved to the house. Okay, we can put it together. We've been there, take it to her location. That's great. And what is your website address in case somebody wants to reach you directly through the website? So it's the H as in Henry, S as in Sam, H as in Henry, F as in Frank.org. The HSHF. Okay, so for Home Sweet Home Foundation. Yes. All right, wonderful, good. So Let's go back now. You had mentioned mental health. I want to just quickly get a little more information on that. Do you partner with mental health providers in the area? Yes, we do. We had a mental health provider, but now she had to step back. So she had to step back. We are currently looking again, but there are people who we recommend to the youth. But I am looking for someone to come to our facility work in our facility. The ones that we already deal with, they you could go to their facility, but it's best for us to have them at our facility. We want to, we kind of are very proud of our facility. So <laughs> <laughs> we have the session where, so it could be seven to 10 youth and they sit around expressing themselves and talking. We're looking for one, everybody, but we do have, <laughs> we do have people already, but we're looking for our main one. <laughs> okay. So you can refer, but you'd love to have a partner on site. Yes. Wonderful. And how about the financial skills? So do you provide classes or do you partner with banks to help teach young people financial skills? What's, What's your approach? Oh, so this is amazing. We had our financial education teacher. Her name is Jana Maravallis. We've been waiting for her for about some time, but now she can officially teach our classes now. And so she works for Atlantic Union Bank. She's going to be teaching our financial education classes. We just announced that a week or two ago. She comes to our facility. She's going to be there August 9th and kicking it off. It's called our economics program, but in simple terms, just financial education. We tried to partner with her bank, but she has different recommendations to make things easier for the youth. We actually are about to work with CQ. CQ? CQ Bank. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's down in Maryland. And so when you're saying you're going to work with them, what are they going to do? They will be providing aged out youth with a deposit into their bank account when they open. So when they open a checking account, they will deposit $35. When they open both, checking in a savings. When I talked to them, he said they will get $250. So if I'm wrong, CQ guy, I'm so sorry. I'm going to make sure I clarify. <laughs> but I talked to, I just talked to him. But they will be depositing $35 into the Aged Out Youth account when they signed up that day. They will be at every one of our financial education program events. And we are also about to work with PNC Bank as well. You're out there hustling. You're getting this stuff done. You get creative. When you, come <laughs> up, you really get creative out here. You really do. So I will be talking to PNC Bank sometime either next week or this week. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. 
So the young people will take classes and they have opportunities to put it into practice at the banks, which is fantastic. Yes, the banks will be there that same day that they're taking their course. Okay. And do you provide any coaching for the young person on making good decisions financially? We haven't ventured into that part. We are looking to. That's why Jana is our go-to for the classes, because I know she knows the basics. She wants them to contact her if they ever have issues or ever wanted to know something more. So that's why she's she's amazing. But we will venture into that maybe a little later this year. Okay. You have a really great start, a very solid start, I think, with your financial literacy plan. And then when you get the coaching involved where they can set goals and you can help coach them along to get those goals and to make good decisions, I think that's one of the, maybe the final keys that you need to help these young people be successful. Yes. And I think Jonna, that same day, actually, I think she's going to tell them everything, but if they want to come back and advance their skills, they are more than welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, the last one, the area that you had mentioned was connection to resources. So I imagine what you're referring to is whatever resources are in your area or even online that can help a young person get over hurdles, say, or to get ahead toward goals. You are learning what those resources are. And when you find out what the young person needs, you try to connect them to the right ones. Does that sound right? Yes. So I had received a call, an aged out youth called me asking me, they asked, I can't remember what they asked me about, but I put them in, in the right direction and told them where they need, they should go to, such as like Reach, for example. They have a homeless shelter here and they said that they needed somewhere to lay their head. I recommended Reach. They couldn't get in contact with them. They told me they kept calling. No one was answering. So I emailed them. I was able to email them. And they was saying, oh, we're available now. Tell them, call us. And just like that, they was able to get in. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Yes. So yes, connection to resources. And even if you're not an aged out foster youth, I took in calls that was not from aged out foster youth, but I still gave them connection to resources just in case you never know. Like I just recommended, there's this place down the street called, it's a blessing to be a blessing. And this girl, she was looking for a meal for her children and her. And they were open. And I told them, I was like, you could go there right now. Go right, it's down this street, down this address. And she made it there. I think that's one thing that people don't realize is in the foster care system, there's really no organized way or centralized way to ensure that young people are presented with the resources that they might need as they're approaching aging out and as after they've aged out. And maybe this is a good segue to our conversation about the foster care system and where there are opportunities for improvement. But I wish there were a way to get young people who are 16, 17, 18, some centralized collection of resources for them organized in a way so they can easily find, you know, like a menu, (laughs) what it is that they need with contact information so that they can start lining up the resources that they need while they're aging out. Unfortunately, that's not the case. So it's really up to the foster parents or the group home leaders, you know, whatever program they're in, it's up to them to help get these young people connected to those resources because the young people don't necessarily know how to find them. 
That is true. And the biggest thing for me, I had to realize I had at one point a chip on my shoulder about the parents and DSS because they wasn't teaching anything. They wasn't teaching. They wasn't reinforcing to help those youth with connecting to those resources. So I'm be honest, I had a chip on my shoulder a little bit. That's also another reason why I made Home Sweet Home. A lot of them just be caring about a check. And that's what makes me a little chippish. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's, I don't know if jaded is the right word. That is but the right word. I have yeah, been, I've been yeah. using that for a couple of months. I'm not mm-hmm. even going to lie. <laughs> and it's understandable. There are foster parents out there that go above and beyond and yes. do all sorts of great stuff to help their youth get ready for aging out. But then there are others that, like you're saying, they're collecting a check. Yes. And they don't put the extra effort in. The foster care system says, is there a roof over their head? Check. Is there food on the table? Check. Are they generally healthy and not being abused? Check. Beyond that, I don't think there's any accountability for anything else. Yes. Yes. It's a list. It's a list of one of my many (laughs) problems for me. I rate rate my list right out. (laughs) But yes. So that's something that if there were some kind of accountability... I'm not saying I have an answer as to how that could be implemented. I think it would be incredibly challenging to do something like that, especially when social workers are already as burdened as they are with all their cases, to ask them to also make sure that that youth are getting ready to age out. It's a lot, and I get that. But maybe there's a way to develop a different department or something that focuses in on this in every state. Yes, I agree. We look to fill in those gaps. I noticed, for example, with one of our partnerships with, like, for example, Potomac Case Management, it was like, we, you guys do what we don't do. And I would say, well, that's why we're here, to work with you to fill in those gaps. And maybe that's the answer, right? It's the more realistic solution, because asking the foster care system, as, as big of a ship it is to turn, asking them to do something different it's easier to have the nonprofits step in and fill the gaps. I think the difficulty with that is still too many young people slip through the cracks because the more populated areas have more programs, the less populated areas have fewer programs. And so there are still young people, particularly in rural areas, but also in urban, but there are still young people falling through the cracks then. But I think it may be the most realistic solution. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and there are more and more nonprofits that are focusing on youth aging out that are being started. I am encouraged by how many nonprofits and universities are now paying attention to this population. And I had people here in Hagerstown. I did not know that was a problem. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. And now I'm presenting this to you. Mm -hmm. It is a problem. Right. And the thing is also, I'm, I didn't do research when I first started Home Sweet Home with my plan, but I'm like, I know some people. So if there's a couple of them coming to me saying there's an issue, and if there's probably more, I mean, it's just, I was basing my common sense and then I did research and that was right. But <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I think that's what I would encourage people to do if they're looking to start a nonprofit to work with this population is look around in your area and see what the gaps are. Thank you. Is there a housing gap? Is there an education gap? Is there an employment gap? Is there a relationships or mentoring gap? Do your research, find out where the needs are, and then start planning your nonprofit to shore up that particular gap. 
I think I just mixed metaphors there, but hey. Is there anything else that you think that the foster system itself can do to improve? For the foster care system to improve, I would say, so one thing I have to say, Home Sweet Home, we never taken money from the government. So they, a lot of these systems and programs are limited because of government funding. They need to put themselves more out there. They really care. They really help helping and everything. Put yourself out there to find funding that doesn't limit you. Because I haven't had a limit to tell me to be like, you need to just put this to this program. I have accomplished more because I haven't had a, and you know, I'm not trying to be rude or anything or cocky or anything, but when you have funding and are able to do more without a limit, that's the biggest thing to show that you care. A lot of them are like, oh my gosh, you actually care. I was like, well, behind the scenes, I'm going out here raising the funds organically. And if the government truly cares, it's best <laughs> to stop putting limits on the funding because a lot of things are repeating themselves. It's been over a decade since I've been in foster care. The limits that they place on these organizations with the funding is not solving the issue. That's my opinion. I mean, and then one last opinion I have to say is the biggest thing is following up with them. Keep following up with them. The youth, because they won't think you care and they're, they're on survival mode. Survival mode, if you don't know what it is, is basically I need this, I need this, I need that. I don't care how I, you know, I got to figure out how I can get it. You got to stay connected with them and remind them that you're here because they're independent. In their mind, there is nobody, no one's coming to help me or save me. So if you keep popping up and showing that you're actually going to be there, they're going to actually take into account that I can lean on you. And that's the biggest thing for Home Sweet Home as well is to, that's I check in with a lot of the youth every week. Because at the end of the day, if we show that we care, you know, I tell them, tell me how we can improve. Like, if you wasn't talking to me, how can we improve? So put yourself out there and make, that's the third thing. Make sure you keep letting them know you are there. Don't just, you know, one minute you, how are you? Then disappear for a month or two months. That's my three biggest things. And you're referring, I would imagine, mostly to like the caseworkers. The caseworkers can only do so much because they are limited by the funding. They're limited right. by the funding. They have to get approved. They have to that's get true. a couple of things. So the caseworkers do care. <laughs> if they're listening, I don't want them to be like, who does she think she is? Let me find her and go to her office. <laughs> so, no, no, no. The caseworkers do care. I have to say I had a caseworker that did care. Oh, we did too. But my biggest thing was the fact I had another chip on my shoulder with DSS because of the fact that they're just limited and it's not helping. Yeah. It's really not helping. Yeah. I think what we're referring to here is the system, not the people, right? Hold on. That's not true. Okay. Okay. The parents. <laughs> the parents. So let me be specific. The caseworkers really care. The SS overall needs less of a limit and they need, let me go back to them. They need to do more research on the parents. I get alerts for cases for lawsuits that go against the SS in West Virginia, for example, just had a lawsuit about a year and a half ago. So you guys have parents that y'all bring in and didn't do a lot of research on. As best believe, Home Sweet Home is on their Facebook. Home Sweet Home is on their Twitter. Homes, anything that looks, even from 20 years ago, we don't care. 
we're very fastidious because of the fact that I know an aged out youth that ended up with a parent that was abusing her. And for whatever reason, you guys need to do more research because there was also a couple who had, I think, four or five foster kids they adopted and they were using them for other things, explicit things, inappropriate things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that. And trust me, I am not defending foster parents that do those things. But isn't there a shortage of foster parents? I feel like from news that I see that there's a shortage. And so if you offer to be a foster parent, like, great, you know, there's probably some minimal vetting, but they're like, great, you're a foster parent because the need is so great. Mm, you're asking my opinion or are you asking me? For yeah, for your impression, just from what you know that's happening in the foster care system. I feel like they're taking people because they just need people. It's they're desperate for foster parents. So they're taking whoever they can, maybe without doing as much vetting as they should. I agree halfway. Okay. That we don't give the good ones enough credit. And so we, you know how people will enhance negative and, you know, we don't give the good ones credit enough because I know one who works at the post office here and her name is Missy. And she had, like, I think more than three years old. I never knew that about her. No one mentioned her or I never heard about her until I met her and told her what I did. And so where's their credit? You know, and I'm not yeah. at the end of the day, they're probably not looking for credit. But at the end of the day, just, just put it out there that there are great foster parents out here. I'm thinking, is there an incentive approach? And I know we're going to have to wrap up here shortly. But is there a way that they could incentivize the better foster care parenting through bonuses for foster parents who do a better job? I know that making that happen and making it work would be a big project. It would be a big challenge. What are the criteria? How do you know that they've met those criteria, right? So there'd be a lot of thought that would have to go into it. But what if there were an incentive program for the great foster parents? So the ones that maybe are middle of the road say, oh, if we did all of that, we could get more money. So if money's a motivator, do you think that might work at least for the top couple tiers of foster parents? I don't know if the ones at the bottom of the tiers would be that motivated, but I don't know. They might be motivated enough to get to middle of the road <laughs> uh, foster parenting. That is a great question because like what I look at it as like if they don't you know, want to get those incentives, I mean... I could possibly put something together myself. <laughs> so maybe that would probably help at the end. Because like, for example, like, oh, did you send this foster youth, age out youth to this financial education course? Bonus. You know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it doesn't even have to come from the government. Maybe it could come from nonprofits where doing certain activities that help young people prepare for aging out, they get some kind of incentive bonus for it. Well, looks like that's another journey. Homesy Homes about this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love these conversations when we can just, I think in, through all these podcasts, there have been so many great ideas that have been raised to, I don't want to say solve everything, but maybe at least to make things a little bit better. What I need is somebody to collate all those great ideas and start advocating for them. <laughs> I have been doing, people who gave me ideas and I'll write them down, but some things have, it takes time, but some things I just started, like I said, when like you aren't limited, you know, you're able to provide the need out here. So I have started, because for example, our Featherbox program, 
there's Brooke Grossman from Horizon Will. She's the one who gave me the idea. I have to say, and I'm like, okay. And we started it like about last year or so ago. And so, yes, <laughs> we are working to implement a lot of those different things. That's great. Well, Ashley, I love the program that you're building there. I'm very excited to hear about, even just in the last couple of years, how things are growing and your goals for the future. And I'm just very excited for you. I'm excited for the youth who get to benefit from the work that you do there. And I'll keep an eye on you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and we'll stay in touch. We'll stay in touch. And well, we have to because now we have family connections. So. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ashley, I really appreciate your time today. I think we need to wrap it up. But I wish you all the best. And I'm looking forward to staying in touch over the years. Oh, thank you so much, Lynn. This was awesome. You're welcome. I think so, too. I think so, too. And for those of you who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. It's a little staggered here over the summer. We're not getting out quite as regularly as we'd like to, but we'll be back on track soon. And you can find us on pretty much any podcast platform, but you can also go to agingoutinstitute.org, look for the podcast link, and you can find all the podcasts there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.